Hi, Hurricane fans. Joe Zagacki here for UPS. Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world, globally or locally. UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want. More made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics. Welcome to another edition of the Behind the U podcast. This one's special. I've had her on my kind of my hit list here for a little bit, my to-do list, and we were finally able to get this done. I think it's our first politician that we've had on the podcast and, of course, a former all-time great at the University of Miami. Properly, I have to introduce you as Mayor Tamara James. Mayor, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I don't like to refer to myself as a politician, but I know that that kind of goes with with the ropes that I'm in. I, I like to just consider myself a public servant because I, I love helping people and I love serving the public. All right, how about someone who is sitting in office? We'll, 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 we'll compromise. <laughs> I'll go with that. Someone who's in, 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 the, in, in a public service space. How about that? That's great. All right, so I was thinking we probably should have done this at Jackson's Ice Cream. Oh, that is a staple. I can't even, you know what's the sad part about it? I live literally three minutes away from Jackson's and I can never get to it because the line is always down the street and wrapped around the corner, which is a good problem for Jackson's to have. But as a as a Dania Beach resident and, and you know, lifetime resident here, it's difficult for us to get it ourselves. Yes, it is. Uh, be ready to wait and bet. Also, I would say, uh, since we're in South Florida, eat the ice cream quick or it's going to melt all over your hands and your face and on the floor. And it just kind of creates a big mess. This is true. All right. So, so can I call you Tamara? Yes, please. I want you to start this off for me. So, in doing my research and reading, we've thrown out a lot of basketball analogies. So I want you to tell me which one you think is the best. You serve in this role. You're the point guard, right? Directing the show. You want to win championships for your city. Or in politics, it doesn't always go the way you want. You have to have a next play mentality. What are we going with? I definitely would go with next play mentality. Next play mentality. Okay. In all seriousness, how well does that serve you? It's everything for me. And um, the crazy part about it is I think I'm the only athlete on the dais. And um, I do a lot of analogies with basketball. And they're always looking at me crazy because they don't really get it. And then I have to, you know, explain it to them. And one thing I always tell them is next play, next play. Because in politics, people hold grudges until, like, they go to the grave. And I'm always confused. Like, okay, it didn't go your way today. Come, come back with something stronger and better. And, and maybe you'll win. And sometimes I lose the battle in that case. And I dust myself off because I have to get ready to shoot that next shot. So I always tell them next play, you're still mad next play. It's the thick skin mentality that, that has allowed me to get along with everyone while not necessarily liking everyone, but understanding the bigger picture of it and the goal that we set which, you know, you can't, you can't get stuck on one um, loss too long because it'll just domino into the next loss. So how often are you involved in, in those conversations you just had in terms of trying to accomplish what you want to accomplish for your city uh, and having to wrestle with pushing through ideas, having to negotiate, compromise, you win, you lose? Like, how much of a daily occurrence is that for you in this role? Actually, we have our commission meetings twice a month and our CRA meetings once a month. So I would say three to four times where we are all there together and you're really having to be a leader in that role and helping everyone accomplish their goals. And when something isn't a great idea or if it's something that all of us doesn't want to support, you have to do your best to try and present a pretty decent project in order to win over people who really probably will vote against you just because they have an alliance with someone else. So it's my job to make sure that I'm trying to remain as unbiased as I can and to let everyone know why this is a win for all of us and it's not just a win for me. So I, I think that coming up with different projects and programs uh, that everyone would like and being able to push that forward and to not keep things personal, it probably happens like three or four times a month for me. 
but I would imagine in between all those meetings, right, you're spending a lot of time thinking, developing, brainstorming, maybe even communicating with the other commission members, because you can't just get all the work done in, in three days or four days when you guys meet. Well, we are not allowed to speak to each other outside of those meetings, but you're right. It takes a lot of preparation with staff and everyone else to help your project come together in a way that is going to make sense. So instead of uh, meeting with the commission, I try to have conversations with our finance director, our city manager, other people who play a very vital role in, um, in our government to win their buy-in. So if the commission sees, oh, the city manager has bought into it, public services has bought into it, it's gonna greatly benefit us in the financial realm and the different type of investments, you have a greater chance of performing at your games, right? So if I was going to relate this to basketball, I would say, you know, all the other days are your practice days and your practice days should be harder than your game days because that's when you do all the preparation. You go over it time and time again. You go through everything with a fine tooth comb. You have someone that's going to play devil's advocate and you just practice presenting and, and going through, you know, what your task is going to be or what your objective is. And you show up for game day, which is on those meeting days, and you have to bring your A game. What are the things that are important to you, right? How do, how do you decide what the next project's going to be? Or if you're working on multiple projects, how do you decide what you prioritize? Sure. So for me, I look at my platform and why I ran. I always have to remember my why and my who and my what. So I look at why I ran. Um, what were those important factors that pushed me into wanting to occupy this seat? I am a lifelong resident of this city. So I've seen uh, this city transform in many different ways. I know the needs of certain communities. I was born into poverty. And so I literally grew up with not having a lot of resources. And so that was a major driver in my reasoning for the things that I support. Um, sports and being able to put all of my frustrations and my stress into a sport sports saved my life. So parks and recreation is very near and dear to me. So the things that I ran on, of, of course, was transparency, um, our quality of life for our, our seniors. Uh, and that's mainly because of my grandmother. You know, she's older and there are not a lot of programs that she can apply herself to or, or be around. A lot of our elders and our seniors are just growing old and sitting outside and not really having that quality of life. And so that's another thing that I ran on, uh, parks and recreation, upgrading those uh, facilities because it has a direct effect into the type of people that you're going to bring into your neighborhoods. First thing you're gonna look at when you move somewhere is you know, what kind of schools they have if you have children and what kind of leisure activities or recreational activities that they have. And so I know the importance of mentoring and, and catching kids at a very vulnerable age in order to try and mentor and mold them. So that's another thing that's on my to-do list all the time and trying to see how we can build something that can have a pipeline to success instead of having a pipeline into jail or being unsuccessful. So I have created the Youth Advisory Council. Um, that was something I've been working on since 2016 and it just came to fruition several months ago. And so it doesn't happen overnight. These things take a lot of time and a lot of groundwork to be laid, but I am so excited that we have that. And then I have another program that I initiated in 2017 called Gracefully Aging. And that is um, a senior club for our elders in our community to be able to do arts and crafts, go and travel, just socialize and educate our seniors on on all the different things that we are facing, especially in the, time, in the time of COVID, everything has changed electronically and digitally. And I know that that can be a big factor on many of our seniors who might not have the education or the knowledge of how to do those things. So I just look at the things that I didn't have. Um, I listen to our residents. I listen to their voices. I like to say that I am the voice of the voiceless. And I just try to carry those things out and make sure that our city is, is growing the way that it should grow. Obviously, you've been doing this now for, for four or five years, but how do you learn the process of getting it done? It's one thing to have the idea, but in the, gov in the governmental space, as opposed to the private sector, you have to get it done. How, did, how have you learned, who have you leaned on to help figuring out the best ways to get policies through at the level you're working at? 
my first year, it was like I was drinking water from a fire hydrant. So there's a lot of information <laughs> coming at once, but you're only getting a little bit of it at a time. But it was very overwhelming coming from a life of sports into a life of politics. I, I say it's the same game, just a different arena or a different type of court. Uh, but it's the same as you would do if you were a basketball coach. So if you are a basketball coach, you're going to surround yourself with subject experts. So I know if I need a, a master recruiter, I'm going to put somebody on my team that I can always come to that'll know everything about recruiting. And the same goes from every other position. And so for me, it was very important that we had a strong city manager because they they know all of that stuff. So for my, for my job, I feel like it's my job to bring my staff the ideas and it's the staff's job to make it happen and to help me understand the processes of how it happens. And it's a long, strenuous process sometimes. Sometimes it's not feasible and I don't understand why. And, you know, people, our residents don't understand why, but when they break it down to me and we can't just give one person a bid, we have to submit something that's called an RFP, request for proposals. Everybody has to send a proposal in. You can't just pick this person because with procurement, they're going to say that, you know, it's more biased and it then becomes political but while I would say it took me two years to really what I was doing I would I would say I want to do all these things and it will happen but I really didn't understand the intricate like the details to make these things happen and it is just amazing to understand if you just sat for one day in my seat and understand things differently from a government's perspective, it, it's crazy. Nothing happens overnight. Everything takes forever. And then in some instances, if you know you have a good enough relationship with certain staff members, they'll push your agenda forward. Unfortunately, that's that's how it is. When it comes to getting stuff done, how, how often do you know people talk about backdoor politics? So how often do you have to negotiate, so to speak? Well, people, when we talk about backdoor politics, people already think that all politicians are crooked, dirty. We're getting money. And I, don't, and I, I guess I'm saying I don't mean I don't mean backdoor from that standpoint. I guess maybe the the aspect of, you know, locking arms with other people, right, to to get your to get what is important to you to the finish line, right? To understand that, I know you said you can't talk to commissioners, you know, only in, you can only talk to them in the meetings. But there, I guess the backdoor politics is me maybe more so the science of trying to get the deal done, not not in a crooked way. Sure. So for me, um, I know that it's all about relationships. It's all about the relationships that you have. And I know I don't have a great relationship with everybody on the dais. And although we only need three votes, I, I, I would like to have five. I like to have a 5-0 unanimous supportive vote because I don't want to have to defend certain things in the public's eye. And, and, and it becomes ugly. So for instance, if you were really close with our finance director, I, and you didn't really like the projects that I bring forward. I would try and get the support of the finance director because I know that the finance director is really cool with you and you respect the finance director and the decisions that they make. So that's why I said it's all about getting staff to approve of your projects so they can't turn it personal. So if you have the support from everyone, everyone in the staff, and they are telling that this is a good project. This is a great investment. This is something we can look forward to. This is going to put Dane Beach on the map. And you just come and want to vote no just because you don't like me. Now you look crazy. And so that's how I try and not trick, but that's my strategy to get to yes from everyone is to get everyone who, who supports everyone else to get them to yes. Because although I can't speak to the other commissioners, I know that staff is going to interact and speak with those commissioners. And if they can have that conversation with them, they are being that ambassador for my project, just as I am. Understood, that makes sense. Now let's, let's rewind this to the beginning of your public service career. I know you were very involved with the city through your foundation. How involved were you? And when did your either interest or your sort of like absolute frustration with what was happening that drove you into actually running? Well, my mom is 
worked for the city. This is year 17 for her. So I've always been around City Hall. I've always gone to these boring commission meetings that I didn't understand anything that was going on, but she told me it was so important for me to attend because she's in the union and you know how that works. And so I and, I, and with my nonprofit, I was always engaged in getting permits, special event permits and approvals and different asks from, from the city. And a lot of the times I wanted a partnership with the city, but the city wouldn't give that to me because I didn't do things the way they wanted me to do them, to do it. And it was very political. It was very biased. It was just someone who decided they can plan my events better than me. So I needed to do it their way or they weren't going to support me. And I think I just got fed up with what are you doing for the city? You know, I got fed up with the people who are supposed to be serving the city, the level of service that they were giving, not everyone, um, but one in particular, the level of service that is one commissioner was giving, it was very selfish and self-centered. And a lot of the residents didn't like it. And, you know, I had gotten the support. People wanted me to run for years before that. And I was like, you guys have lost your mind. I could never do that. Like, I have no interest in doing that. And um, one meeting, I I went with my mom to the commission meeting and I didn't know that they were gonna be discussing my foundation and a Thanksgiving event that we had done, giving out like 500 turkeys and Thanksgiving boxes and so many, just giving back to the community. And he kind of got up there and the commissioner just spoke so ill about my foundation. And for me, that that's a trigger because I don't get paid to do that. That's solely from my heart. And I know the impact that it has in this city and to have it politicized, it was a no for me. So I walked down there and you have three minutes to have your statements. I didn't have anything written, um, but I took my time and you know I told him, I looked him in his face and I said, you know what? I don't like the, the way that you are serving this commission and I'm gonna take your seat. So I'm gonna run against you, take your seat so I can show you how you are supposed to serve. And I went home and I was like, mom, what did I do? And she's like, um, you just declared that you're gonna run <laughs> for this seat. And I was like, what do I do? And so I reached out to two former mayors but were still serving as commissioners on that board. They kind of took me by, by the hand and showed me the ropes. And without them, I wouldn't be here. But I can credit basketball to why I won. Um, it's because you really have to outwork your opponents. So I didn't know anything about policy and resolution and ordinances and all these other fancy political names, but I knew how to knock on the door and connect with the people. And that's what the people wanted. They weren't used to seeing a politicians at their door, candidates at their door. They didn't even know who served them. And I went to everyone's houses, um, Democrats, Republicans. It was in the time where Trump was running for presidency. And so it was very uh, tense and it, it was hard at times, but I just made it a point to make sure I knocked on every single door that I could. And because I did the things that other people didn't want to do. So in sports, when you're doing the things that don't show up on a stat sheet, those are the things that kind of push you over the edge. You know, when you come to the gym before everyone else, when you leave after everyone else, those are things that I was doing. And I was able to um, gain the most amount of votes ever in the history of Dania Beach elections. And then in 2020, I did it again and I broke my own record. And so everything is just tied to what you're doing. So how you practice is how you're going to play. Let me ask you this. What was interesting to me about what happened transpired with that commissioner was he challenged you or he challenged your foundation, right? Challenged something personal to you. So I, my curiosity was, as you were saying that, were you the same way on the basketball court? I'm the ultimate competitor. I will compete in who puts my seatbelt on, who puts their seatbelts on the fastest. Anytime someone challenges me, I'm up for it. So even now when, you know, I'm walking and knocking in a dress and, and some sandals, if I see some kids playing basketball, you know, I'm talking trash to them. Oh, I, I'll beat you in a one-on-one, game to one. And I would play them in a dress. And so I actually have, I actually have that when I, you know, was walking and knocking with a candidate and I started playing one-on-one -on -one with a young boy on the side. I am the ultimate competitor. So I don't care if I don't know how to do it. I'm going to find out how to do it and I'm going to try to be beat you in it. So what, and also the other thing from what you, you discussed earlier, why did your mom recommend or think it was important before you were running for office that it was important for you to be at those meetings because without that my guess is you're not running because that event doesn't transpire correct um she's a very vocal person just like me 
I am sort of a clone of hers and uh, she's a go-getter. She wants to get things done. So she was just trying to teach me and like, we have to, our civic duties, like we have to be involved. And that's something that I'm having a hard time with our residents, getting them more involved of the things that are happening because once things are already approved at the commission level, you know, a lot of our residents, they don't get involved until they see it coming out the ground and impacting them. But a lot of those decisions are made years and months before you ever see it. So it was a teaching moment for her. She always dragged me there. She always wanted me to understand the things that she used to fuss about and the things that she was so passionate about. She wanted me to understand them firsthand. And I wanted to be supportive of my mom and not have her go to these meetings alone. And, you know, and so I think for her, that was, that was an important part of parenting. Although I was an adult to try to teach you, um, you know, when you have your own house, these are the things that you're going to have to do, the permits that are needed, the process that you have to go through. And these are the people that makes those decisions. So if you don't like the decisions, these are the individuals that you need to contact. So you literally would go knock on people's doors because that's a phrase that's used a lot as an analogy, but where you were literally going door to door. Oh, literally door to door. And I would be with um, some of the former elected officials and they'll say, no, no, no. These people don't like us. Don't knock on that door. And I would say, they don't like you. They don't know me. I'm knocking on, <laughs> I'm knocking on that door. And, you know, because I had that spirit and that attitude and a lot of people didn't understand, like, oh my gosh, why is she coming to my door? She know I don't like, you know, the people who hang with them. And that's why I said it's the next play mentality. Some of them have been holding grudges with each other since high school and they're in their 60s and 70s. And I don't understand that. I don't, I don't operate like that. You know, you don't like a teammate and you come back to practice the next day and you guys are friends and you have that camaraderie. And it's just, it just wasn't like that. I think that we are changing the culture little by little because I have learned from my pastor not to meet people with the energy that they give you. So if, if, I, if I knocked on the residence door and one of them was like, why are you at my door? Look at you. Do you think I would vote for you? They were talking about race. And I said, well, I want you to vote for me because at the end of the day, if you have an issue, um, when you call City Hall, I'm not going to ask that you Democrat, Republican, or nonpartisan. I'm going to serve you. But you can call up to the White House and you won't get any service. And so it is important that even though I look different from what you would expect, that you are going to elect the person that can best deal with the needs that you have. And with that type of attitude, I, I gained support from people who would have never supported me had I not knocked on their door. The audacity of Tamara James to knock on my door and ask for my vote, I gave it to her. That's what I got in response. So what do you think was the thing that you, being a non-politician entering the fray, what was it that you were saying, thinking, believing that swayed them, right? That got them in your corner? I just told them how important voting was and the elections were. And I, one thing that I did do that I think helped me tremendously was the vote by mail. So I tried to register as many people as I could uh, doing vote by mail ballots. So, you know, a lot of people, stuff happens on election day and they can't make it. And I didn't want them to, to fall into that trap. There's a lot of neighborhoods that historically just don't show up to vote. And I knocked on their doors. And when they tried to tell me they were going to be too busy, I was like, the postage is already sent for you. Uh, I caught, I kept a log of everyone that I registered, everyone that said they already had registered. And then when those ballots started to come out, I had my team contacting them all, helping them through, answering whatever questions. Um, I just sat and talked to people. So when I was first campaigning, one of the former electeds told me, okay, we could only spend 30, 30 seconds at each door. And I didn't, I didn't treat everyone like a number. I treated everyone like a person. So if they had legitimate concerns, I helped them facilitate those concerns. Even if I couldn't do it, I gave them the proper departments that could help them. And just me wanting to help and being young actually helped me a lot too, because I was elected when I was 31. The next person that was on the dais was in their 60s. So there's this big gap of we need, they, they, they were seeing the same five politicians be recycled over and over again. They're ready for something fresh and new. And I brought them a lot of high energy. And um, I, I stayed there. If I had to stay and talk to one residence for 10 or 20 minutes, I would do that. And um, word of mouth spreads quickly. So even some of the people who I couldn't reach, 
the people who fell in love with me, they reached them for me. So now let me ask you this. You win. You're in office. Was there another oh my moment? Like, now I'm here. What do I do? Like, what was the first big thing that maybe crossed your plate that challenged you? Absolutely. So when you're the mayor, your biggest challenge every two weeks is to facilitate a meeting. So you have these agenda with a lot of different resolutions, with a lot of legal jargon that you, well, that I didn't understand. You have these different projects that are going on and you have to understand the budget and why certain monies can't be spent in certain places. So I went back to the two individuals that helped me get and win this race and I did mock meetings. So I went through agendas and they explained everything to me and how to get things done. And then I went to our city manager with my ideas and what I wanted and asked them, how do I facilitate this? How do I get this done? Walk me through the process because I want to be able to check off all those things on my list. And I want to expedite it. I want to wait 10 years to have one thing happen. And so, um, because I had a lot of energy and I am a go-getter, I wasn't gonna sit around. If I sent you an email, I'm gonna follow up on that email two days later. I'm gonna stay on that task until that task is completed. And a lot of times, a lot of our ideas as commissioners or elected officials, they leave when we leave office because we don't have the fortitude to continue doing things when it seems like all is, you know, all is failing. So what was your first big project? What was the first big thing that you pushed through and how, how much of a sense of a pride and accomplishment did you feel for getting it done? The first thing that I got done was gracefully aging. And so, um, you know, we don't have, we didn't have a senior program dedicated through our parks and recreation. And my grandmother, you know, she has had a lot of health challenges and she likes to knit, but she'll stay in the house all day and understanding that she needed that social aspect of things. We brought gracefully aging to Dana Beach. Now the first, um, I tasked this one, uh, one of our parks and recreation managers with doing this. And she, the first day that she had it, there was one person that showed up and she cried and, you know, she felt defeated. And I said, no, 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 this is just the beginning. You have to keep working at it. Now it's gone from that to us trying to facilitate it at our other parks because it's come, become so popular. Um, people are flocking to come to it. They do senior proms. They go to Key West. They do do-it-yourself things. They do aquatic aerobics and all different types of activities. So that's something that now... Oh, it, it is it is thriving. And then um, I did ban the box, which, you know, it, it helps fight discrimination. So if you have had a felony, you got arrested before and you did you paid your dues and you are back as you know a citizen trying to just do work is very difficult because you have that already on the plate. And so ban the box doesn't mean that um, you're not going to have to pass a background check, but ban the box just means that we can't ask you, have you ever been arrested before? Because if a lot of employers, once they see that, they just throw your resume, your application to the sideline. But this also allowed us to give people second chances. Now, you still have to pass a level two background check. You couldn't have, you know, if you're working in Parks and Rec, you couldn't have certain charges. You know, we're still very responsible with it. But just allowing us to give that second chance to people made a big difference. And then we started a first time homebuyers program in our CRA, which, you know, we're giving the people in that area, that underserved area, an opportunity to be homeowners because we're giving them up to $20,000 in down payment assistance. And we're capping what the houses can be built at. So um, I think that those three things uh, were instrumental. And, you know, I passed the parks master plan that is going to redevelop all of our parks. Now we just have to get to the funding and, and the political things, but just being able to get people on the same page, I, I feel like it's my biggest accomplishment. So we don't have that divisiveness at all of these meetings. Cause some of the meetings have gotten really ugly, but when you are the mayor, when you are the leader trying to take the cars that are dealt and just make the best of them and, you know, do the best that you can do to keep a positive outlook on the city. Because when it's a lot of chaos, you don't have developers that want to come and invest in your city. You don't have people that want to come and move in your city because they look at the leadership and, you know, they run from that. So how does that get to you, right? The a developer, does it come through city hall? Does it come through the mayor's office? Are you, how actively do you get engaged in those conversations? 
All the time. So the first thing I, I mandated when I was the mayor with developments is when a developer comes and they submit all their paperwork to staff, that the staff makes them go out and have community meetings with the impacted community. Because too often, you know, residents and neighbors don't know about these commission meetings. They don't care to be engaged, but they see a high rise right next to them and they don't know anything about it. And so I, I made the um, developers go and have these community meetings where the commission would go and listen to see how everyone feels. And then you're able to make a much more responsible decision because you know how the community feels about it. For me, if, it, if the project doesn't have the buy-in from the community, I won't vote for it. I don't care how much I love it. If it's going to impact a certain community and you haven't received the buy-in or negotiated that buy-in with that community, I, in great faith, cannot go and say, I am going to support this project and turn my backs on the very people who have elected me to serve. That's a very grit outlook, because I do believe that in public office, sometimes what gets lost is what you believe versus what is best, right? You are serving the people, right? So what is good for our community versus what I personally think is best? Do you have to balance that or are you very aware of, of what your role and responsibilities are? It is a balance because sometimes because a resident's are not educated in government and understanding how things work. They think that you're making a decision that's going to hurt them, but in fact, you are making a decision that is going to help them. And so I, you know, I, I really think that it's, it's a balancing act. So I would tell the developer to go back, make concessions, negotiate, and I would try to be that bridge as well, if I believe in the development. Um, to make sure that we all get to yes. And, but I have to put my feelings sometimes to the side because although I may like or may not like this project, it's not in my area and I'm not being impacted. But um, like we have a large development called Dania Point, which has really been a game changer for the city. And a lot of the residents did not want it. They hated it. And this happened before I was in office, but they did not support it at all. And now they love it. You know, it, it has created so many jobs that have gone to Dania Beach residents. It has increased our tax base tremendously and has allowed us to be able to do different programs because of, you know, the monies that we receive from this development. It, it allows um, us to get tourism dollars uh, because uh, we're not just a pass-through city anymore. People are going there to live, to shop, to eat, to, to entertain themselves. And so I, I do think that developments like that, you really have to take time and, and go out on a campaign, if you will, of why the, the community should be in support of it. So those are always the successes, but you mentioned earlier, you know, there's ups, there's downs, the next play mentality. I'm sure your, your professional and your uh, amateur career as a, as a player, a competitor has helped you with that. But do things ever get to you personally? Like, do you take it home with you? Does that happen? Yes, yes. Um, I think the one thing that makes me not want to be in politics for a long time is that I decided I want to be in politics, but I didn't understand that. That means my son is in politics, my parents are in politics, my family and my friends all, you know, everything that they do impacts me as well. And so I think that certain commissioners or certain elected officials, they know that they can't get to me, but they try and do things that are going to harm my parents or say things about my child. And those are things that will make me go zero to a hundred real quick. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm working on my emotional responses, but it's difficult. Those are things that I'm very passionate about. And I, I think that they try and bait you uh, so you can get out of character and then they blast that little moment, but they don't really, um, you know, say what they did to contribute to those situations. And so I have learned so much over the last four years about decorum and, and to how to, I, I'm a thick skin kind of gal, but I'm also, I, I wouldn't say I'm non-confrontational. I like to confront whatever it is right there. And I'm not the person that's just going to let things slide because, you know, this is political. You shouldn't say this. You shouldn't do that. No, I address things that I feel need to be addressed right when I feel like they need to be addressed. And that's, that's not the greatest thing all the time, but it does put other people on notice that, you know what, if you're going to mess with Tamara, you better come with your A game. And so there are things that definitely get to me that I'm very passionate about that come under attack 
but it's just because I feel like it's unfair because they can't really defend themselves. It, it would have to be me defending them. Did you catch someone off guard the first time someone crossed you and you, you kind of punched back, so to speak, when you stood up and spoke for yourself and stood your ground and said, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen here. Did you, uh, did you surprise the room at all or surprise some people? I'm not sure, but I do know that prior to me speaking at that one commission meeting, I've always been very engaged. So I was eight months pregnant trying to do a Thanksgiving drive-in. Something had happened with the city staff and they took all of my donation boxes and it, I was hormonal and really made me upset. I waddled down to those things in those three minutes and I let them have it. And I was always very vocal. Um, I've been a vocal leader, uh, even with basketball, very vocal leader. Like, I, I'm not going to just do it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to expect for the person who plays the least amount of minutes to give the same exact effort as the person who is All-American on the team. That's just my level of expectations when it comes down to what you are committed to doing. And so when I, they didn't think I was going to win because, you know, here's Tamara. She doesn't really talk like a politician. She doesn't say the political correct things all the time. Oh, she's never going to make it. And I'm here now and I'm running the meeting. You know, I, the thing that I said to them and they kind of looked like, oh my gosh, this girl is crazy or she's serious was that I was bringing a project for and for me, I like to be inclusive. So I invited everyone, although I could have got all the credit myself, it looks better when, you know, the team is invited and the team's all a part of it. And they, two of, two people just were so uncooperative. And, you know, I had to tell them, I said, listen, I can score 40 on my own, but I'm trying to let you all get a shot off as well. And they didn't understand what that meant. And I'm like, I've been a, I've been a scorer all my life. I don't need you to score the basketball. I don't. But I do want you to be included. So I, I will pass you the ball. But if you want to act like that, I'll put you back on the bench. <laughs> and so they were just looking like, what is she talking about? She's talking about basketball again. All she talks about is basketball. That's awesome. I you know it's funny that we should just start. We, we should just come up with a list of more things you can weave into the next meeting. Like a good, <laughs> you know, hey, we're going to look, listen, we're going to run a little screen and roll. Okay. Now, when I come off, if you're open, I'll give it to you. But if you don't set a good screen, if you don't do your part, I'm taking it. Right, right. I, I'm sure by the end of my political career in Dania Beach, they're going to know more about basketball. Hi, Hurricane fans. Joe Zagacki here for UPS. Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world, globally or locally. UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want. More made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics. All right, so you mentioned your son earlier. I think he's either 9 or 10. How much does having a son drive the decisions you make or the projects you get behind? Oh, my gosh. Having a child has been life-changing. It's changed me to the core. I am grateful because he comes to some of the commission meetings, and he sits there, and he's very supportive. He's campaigned with me. He's, gone, he's done everything with me. And um, the decisions I make, and sometimes when I want to get out of character, I have to know who I represent. And I have to say, is this going to make my son proud? Are the decisions that I'm going to make going to make him proud? And sometimes I have to stand up for certain things because I want to show him this is how you stand up for things that aren't right. And um, so it's definitely a driving force of what I do. I, he's very proud of me and that makes me go harder. And I just think of the type of city I want to raise him in. And that's what helps me when I make certain decisions. Like, do I see my son raising his own family in this city with the decisions I'm making today? That's what I, that's kind of what I use as a measuring tool to measure the level of how important this project is. So back when you were a kid playing basketball, I can't imagine this is what you thought you'd be doing. No, not at all. I thought I would be either still playing or coaching. When did basketball first become important to you? Well, my parents both play sports. And um, my dad went to college at, I think, Bethune-Cookman. And so he was always playing in these little leagues around town. And so I will always just go with him. I have a, a photograph that I have, I would have to find and give it to you. But it's of me shooting a basketball when I was like two or three years old. But um, 
ever since I can remember, I've been playing basketball. I didn't take it very seriously. The first time I played organized sports, I was 12 years old and I, I, I played AAU 12 and under. And from then, I didn't know how good I really was. You know, I just know I used to go to the park with my dad and shoot basketball. But after that, I had a, got a basketball going in front of my mom's house. And I just played there every single day. And it just grew and grew and grew. And I never knew how good I was going to be or how far I was going to go. I just know that was sort of an outlet for me. And I knew that was something that I loved to do. Now, I read that you also, like if you played in the park, I read that you would you'd play against the boys as much as you play against the girls or maybe more so? Yes, we didn't have a lot of girls in this neighborhood that played basketball and I was a tomboy growing up. And so I definitely played with the boys all the time. It made me, it made me be as tough as nails and, and to learn how to be more crafty because you know they were more athletic than I was and versatile than I was, but I still had to find a way to, to be picked up on someone's team because I didn't want to be on the side. You go to South Broward, you win three state titles. How, how awesome was that? As you look back on everything you've done, right? That was probably a slightly more pure time in your life. Yes, I, I should have won four, but my freshman year, um, we, we had the big head and uh, we were on a high horse and didn't think that anyone could beat us. We were undefeated and suffered that loss to a team that we should have blown out. And I was a freshman and, you know, it was still a lot I needed to learn. But when you're, when you're relying on a freshman, and those types of mistakes are, you know, going to happen. And so um, it was, we had such a strong support from our community when I was in high school. They filled the gym and I actually, I miss high school basketball because it, it was fun then. Um, you didn't really have to worry about scholastics as much as you do in college because you could always kind of recoup. But in college, you miss one day. It's like you miss two weeks you know, um, especially those classes that you may have once a week. And so I, I, I loved it. It was something that brought our community together, something that taught me so much about life. Was Miami always the school for you? Like, is that where you wanted to go or it just happened to end up that way? 9-11 um, is what made my decision. 9-11 happened uh, my, my junior year and I, I just couldn't imagine going anywhere else. I was scared to go. I was scared to get on a plane. I was scared to go anywhere else. I was at McDonald's All-American. I didn't even go to the game because it was, in, it was in New York. And I hadn't opened up a single University of Miami letter before 9-11 happened. And after that, I, I thought we were going to like World War III. I was very scared at the time. And so I opened up a University of Miami letter. I called them and I took a visit. And while on the visit, I committed. Wow. Yep. Just like that. Just like that, it, you know, it, they they show you the good life when you come from kind of where I came from and you go into such an amazing campus. You know, my parents never went through a recruitment process. They didn't really know what they were doing when I was being recruited. I mean, if I can go back and do it all again, I probably would take all of my visits. Right. <laughs> At least enjoy that part of it. Right. Get wine and dine five times. Right. Um, but I really wanted to go to Notre Dame and I wanted to go my choice, my initial choices was Notre Dame, Rutgers, or University of Georgia. That's where I wanted to go. And then after 9-11 happened, I was like, there's no way I can go that far from home. When you got to Miami, you took that next step up. And I know you led the conference in scoring in the Big East your freshman year, but was it immediate? Did you know you were the best one there from the get-go? No, and they, they, the team definitely wouldn't allow you to think that at all. Miami was a very scrappy team, um, very tough. No, I didn't, I, I just, I didn't, I've never known how good I was when, when I was in those moments. I just wanted to play. And um, I was recruited to play a guard, but our post players got suspended for the first game of my collegiate career. So they stuck me at the post. And I think I had like 20 points and 21 rebounds. And I ended up staying there for, for, for my four years. Um, so I definitely didn't know that uh, I was going to be the standout um, every, because when you get to college, everyone that's at college has been recruited. They, right. They've been something on their teams. And I was very cognizant of that. So I just wanted to go in and, and work hard. You started all but two games of your career. I have no idea. But why two games? What happened in those two games? Why didn't you start two games? I think one of them I had a concussion in and I was kind of coming back. Okay. 
the other the other game I overslept. Ah, uh, come on, Mayor. I overslept and my phone was on silent. And by the time that somebody came and knocked on my dorm door, that's how they got me up. We were like 20 minutes before the game. I was like warming up. Oh. Yeah, like I really overslept. <laughs> I bet your coach wasn't happy with that one. No, she wasn't. But hey, I don't know. It happens. So how much pride do you take? No person, men or women, has scored more points in the history of Hurricanes basketball than you. I think my family is more proud than I am. Um, I, it's, a, it's an amazing accomplishment. And I, I know that when I really was into it was when uh, Raquana Williams and Shanice Johnson was playing there and they were close to beating that record. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, you want them to do well, but you want to keep your record. Up. Not that well, right? <laughs> I know. I was so torn, but I think that they were the closest that is going to get to that record. With the men, I think they will never um, beat that because men don't stay for four years. And so, you know, if they're that good, you're going to the NBA. I think you're right. If they're that, if they're that good, they're probably not staying. It's probably helping your cause. Right. <laughs> I'll take that. What's interesting, though, is you got to the WNBA and you said it was a hard adjustment. And the, the crazy thing that sticks out to me after talking to you for the last hour is you said your attitude was the problem. And I see someone who has a tremendous attitude. Explain it. I didn't know how to deal with adversity. And so all my life, I, I was the all everything on the team. I started, I was one of the best players and, you know, I had one of the most important roles. And when I got to the WNBA, I know they drafted me in the first round, eighth pick, and you don't see the floor. I didn't understand that. I, I never knew what it was to sit on a bench. And it was hard. It was hard for me, especially when I felt like I could be contributing um, more than some of the people that were playing in front of me. And when I went to the coach, and I asked him, what can I do in order to gain playing time? And when he told me, there's nothing you can do this year. You just, you just, I just can't play you. I don't have time to play you this year. Has nothing to do with your skills. I was broken. I was heartbroken because I didn't know at that time that WNBA was so political and that, you know, have favorites and all these other things that go into it. It, it was a platform that gave me so much I'm so grateful to the WNBA but my experience I think that had I been on a team that didn't have so many veterans and so many stipulations of they have to get this amount of playing time if I was like on a Chicago Sky or a team that was just coming in and I could fight for my position and my playing time I think that would have made things different but I didn't have the the mental maturity to clap and cheer on my teammates like my teammates who didn't get playing time clapped and cheered for me. I was too immature at that time. I didn't understand it. I took everything personal. And for the first half of the season, you know, I walked around with the attitude. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to talk to the, the coaches. Like, no, you guys can play me. You're not playing me. That's the type of attitude I have. And it wasn't until after All-Star break when I came home and I kind of readjusted re my mind to understanding that, guess what? You're not getting better because you're not giving effort in practice. You're lazy. You're not doing these things that made you who you are or that got you here. And at the end of the day, even if you don't play a minute this year, you know, you still have to prepare to go to overseas. So, um, you know, me and Nikki Blue, who was in a similar situation as me, and we, we were both rookies together, we started taking the practices and making them like our games. And so, you know, we, we would be going super hard in practice and some of my teammates would be like, oh, y'all doing too much. But I was like, this is my game. If I want to get better, I have to play against some of the best competition in the world. And that's my teammates. And I'm going to be better and I'm going to make you better because I'm not going to take it easy on you. And then the next year happened to where, you know, it was very political again. And the person that was getting the playing time in front of me, she retired. And then I started starting and then a trade happened and then someone else, sometimes I would start, sometimes they would start, sometimes I would start. It was just very hard to get used to. And you hear the stories of why they're starting and it was just a very unfair thing. And I just lacked the mental maturity to be able to deal with those situations. And so I, I, I made a bad name for myself and then nobody wanted to really deal with me and give me that extra chance because, you know, they, they knew I was Tamara with an attitude type of person.
And um, I really messed up a lot of opportunities for myself just by not having that mental maturity. But it opened the door, I believe, in a way that you got to play overseas. And, and I'm sure that's sh shaped or how did it shape you? How did it shape you? What did you see? How does it make? I don't know if it impacts you and how you do your job today, but certainly it opened your eyes to a whole nother world. Traveling the world, I would tell this to anyone. If you have the opportunity to travel to another country outside of America to do it, it has changed everything about me. When you see people who live in, you think that some of our uh, conditions are in despair. When you go to certain countries and you see the way they are living and that they are happy, it makes me understand how spoiled we are as Americans. And, um, you know, Israel was probably my favorite place to play. I played there for six years. Um, it was like my second home. And I, I really, really enjoyed the different traditions, different religions, the different cultures. Um, it, it really opened my eyes up to a, a totally different world and understanding, you know, my purpose here. It's funny, I ran into Brian Asbury, who played at Miami. He lives in my neighborhood down here. I'm a, I'm a Dade County resident, but he played a lot in Israel. And he said he would go over to Friday night. They'd have Shabbat dinner and he loved it. Yeah, Brian Asbury played in Israel. So did um, Raymond Hicks that played for the boys team. Jack McClinton played there as well. Um, there are a few you um people that really, really played and thrived um, and did well. Did you enjoy, you know, however you were able to sort of, you know, embrace the culture or even integrate into it? Did you enjoy some of that since you spent so much time there? I did. I definitely, I enjoyed Shabbat dinner as well. They were very welcoming. Their culture was very welcoming. And um, it, it, I'm taking my son there for his 10th birthday because he spent his first three years of life over there. And he, he, was, he would come home speaking Hebrew and part Hebrew, part English. And it was a very, it was very good for him too, because he picked up a lot of great eating habits. Like he loved hummus sandwiches more than peanut butter and jelly. And his palate is, <laughs> is very different than the average nine-year-old. So he didn't, he doesn't remember a lot, but I want to take him there to really gain that experience. I'm all about experiences. I was looking at your Facebook page and I was like, I would not want to be your daily planner. I'm all over the place. Oh my God, every day you're somewhere different. In the office you serve, I guess you can choose to be you know, front facing or you can be kind of reclusive. And it seems like just you know, everywhere the city needs you, everywhere there's something happening in your city that you're, you're there to embrace it. Yeah, you know, um, being, being a political leader, you can choose how involved you are. And I'm always, I've always been a hands-on type person. And so, yeah, my schedule is all over the place all the time because I hate to say no to people. I, I, I find it um, such an honor when people want to reach out to me, like how you reached out to me and wanted me to be a part of this. I really consider it an honor and I'm so grateful. I just want to make sure that the time I spend on this earth is meaningful because the day you're born, you're starting to die. And we don't know the time. And I just want to, you know, make sure that I'm leaving a legacy worth reading. Well, I appreciate that you felt honored. I think I was just as honored. Like I said, you've been on my list. I've had a list of people that I just think have tremendous stories who are connected to the school that I'm passionate about and have done a lot of work for. And, and we want to share those stories with as many people as possible that also have a love for that school. So when you said yes, and then when I looked at your Facebook, Paige, I'm glad you carved an hour out for us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. You have a good one. Take care and go you.